welcome to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Trasilla from NHS Somerset, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague. I'm Dr. Sarah Coop. I'm a GP by background and also a medical educator and coach. And I'm really delighted today to have as our guest for this episode, Tamsin Hartley, who is a coach and director of The Listening Space. So welcome, Tamsin. Do you want to tell us a little bit about you and what you do? Thank you for inviting me and welcome. Um, yes, so I am a coach and a trainer and director of The Listening Space, but I started my life as a um, or professional life as a physiotherapist in the NHS for 10 years, then took time out to bring children up. And then I retrained as a coach and um, quickly became very interested in a particular method of inquiry called clean language. And that sounds really interesting. And the, the title we gave this session, which I forgot to actually give to, out to all of us earlier, is The Magic of Metaphor, The Listening Space. The Magic of Metaphor, The Listening Space. And I'm really curious as to what this is all about. Yeah, so one of the really lovely things about clean language is that when you ask questions in a particular way, um, they often reveal, invite uh, metaphors to appear. Um, They shine a light on the metaphors that people naturally use uh, to describe their experience, often without even realising that they're doing so. And when that happens, um, it can bring awareness in a very resourceful and creative way. I can give an example if that would help. Um, So a a client I was working with, for example, who um, is dyspraxic, a young woman who worked in the bank, um, a bank teller. And um, because of her dyspraxia and her difficulty with concentrating, she was finding um, that she would uh, make cash errors at the end of the day, which is an absolute nightmare uh, because she has to stay behind, her manager stays behind and she goes on performance review. So I asked these questions, a specific set of questions and about her concentration. And before long, um, a a metaphoric glass box appeared that she found very resourceful. So she said, what I need to do is to build this glass box about two or three inches thick all around me at the end of the day. So I can't hear anything, but I can see people around me. And as a result of this metaphoric glass box, Uh, she stopped making cash errors, she was able to concentrate, and she passed her driving theory test um, after four failed attempts. So made a big difference for her life. Wow, that sounds really powerful, Tamsin. So you've gone straight into helping us to sort of see the power of the metaphor and um, working as a coach. So you said that you use clean language to to help somebody create those metaphors or to develop those metaphors, just to go back a bit and tell us what's clean language. It'd be helpful to explain that to us firstly. So clean language is a method of inquiry that was created by a New Zealander called David Grove, who's sadly, sadly no longer with us. And it's very simple, actually. Uh, you combine uh, repeating back the exact words that somebody's used and uh, use one of um, the particular questions, the most common question being what kind of. So, um, for example, if someone says to you, oh, God, I'm really frustrated, you might say, what kind of frustrated? So you're using the exact words and repeating back some words and ask a clean question. Um, Another example of a clean question that's commonly used would be, is there anything else about? Um, And so actually there are 12 basic questions uh, and a whole number of other um, more specialised questions. But conversationally, that can be really useful. What kind of? 
just so that you're checking out your uh, understanding of what the other person said so that things don't get lost in translation. I mean, that just sounds very powerful in itself, doesn't it, to use somebody's words? Because we know that when people use particular words to describe their emotional experience, that's because those words mean something to them on a deep level, often, don't they? Just tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. And a friend of mine has a lovely expression. What so often happens is that we find that uh, people speak into our lives or that we find ourselves speaking into the lives of others. So very quickly when someone speaks, we make a kind of mental model of what they're saying. We make meaning. Our brains are designed to do that very quickly without uh, below conscious awareness. So we're not always aware of the mental model that we've made of what somebody else has said. So these questions just give you a chance to almost do a press pause and get clearer. And the clean element is about not contaminating. We contaminate conversations with our assumptions, with our suggestions, and it just helps prevent speaking into the lives of others. Yeah, I was going to say, why is that so important? I mean, so you've said it obviously helps to sort of avoid assumptions, doesn't it? So when often in a conversation with somebody, particularly perhaps in a coaching conversation or in a, some sort of consultation as a healthcare professional, obviously we ask questions, don't we, that give us information about what the person's experiencing and, and we're trained as health professionals to sort of find out more. So it sounds like what your what the clean language does is to help to really sort of in some ways it sounds simplify that process but I can imagine it's it sounds simple but I can imagine there's a lot of skill needed to it but what does that avoiding a contamination what does that help to achieve what it really helps to to achieve is to allow the other person to do their own thinking for themselves to figure themselves out to get a sense of how they do themselves. I mean, for example, uh, that young uh, woman in the bank, there's no way that I could have known that she needed to construct a metaphoric glass box around herself. Only she was going to be able to find out um, what worked most successfully for her. Um, and in this instance, there was a metaphor that arose, but it's not always that a metaphor arises, but when they do, um, it, they can bring a whole new dimension to your understanding of yourself. And people so often, as we know, have the answers within. How interesting. So often in conversation, and certainly in my family, we're renowned for talking over each other. Com conversation can be sort of competitive airtime. Uh, and the other thing that we can lapse into is problem solving other people's issues. Have you got anything to say about that? Yeah, I do. Um, so absolutely, I, I would totally agree. And actually, since I've learned about clean language, um, I, I, there's two things. I've noticed how competitive conversations can be. And I've also um, in, been enabled to uh, challenge my own assumptions so that I might um, think that things ought to be a certain way. But realising what my assumptions are enables me to just question that. Is it actually true that that is the case? does A always lead to B? And it can be very calming to actually pause and challenge that within myself, but certainly in listening to other people. So I have, there are two other elements to um, the way that I use clean language. Um, and I have a metaphor um, for what's needed in order to go into these kind of conversations. Um, so what I have is a metaphor, a metaphoric uh, welcome mat. And what you do is before you decide to listen cleanly, as it were, you wipe your feet 
on the welcome mat. And in so doing, you wipe away any desire to fix, to change, to analyze, to interpret. You sim- simply welcome what arises, what is, what is spoken. And you welcome in equal measure the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because what so often happens, particularly when we're le- listening to other people, is we go into fix. We want to go and rescue. And I, I don't know if your listeners know about the drama triangle um, that is a very nice, simple model that when things um, get uncomfortable for us, even in a little way, or don't quite work the way that we want them to, there are three roles, one or more of three roles that we tend to adopt. Rescuer, persecutor, pointing the f- finger of blame um, at others, victim, full of shame and disempowerment. So rescuer, persecutor, victim. And when we're listening to other people, particularly if they're talking about some difficulty, it's really, it can feel uncomfortable. And in order to resolve our discomfort as a listener, we go into rescue without even realising it. How fascinating. So you've just reminded us us about the drama triangle, which we have talked about before on this podcast, uh, and you've helped us with a really powerful tool, which is the welcome mat, which essentially takes away our prejudices uh, and our preconceptions and our assumptions and allows us to approach the situation maybe with curiosity and an open mind, but not with contamination. Really nice way of describing it. And I would even say not taking away our assumptions and preconceptions, but putting them to one side, because we will inevitably have them. And the, the actually, it's more useful to notice the story that you're telling yourself about the situation and actively wipe it to one side, um, because we will be making stories up in our head. We're making me. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because it's almost like as the coach or the healthcare professional talking to somebody else, often we've got metaphors in our mind, often haven't we, of, of how this interaction is or what we're bringing to that situation. So I really like the thought, you know, thinking of this in a much more simple, focusing your attention, the quality of your attention on that person and on what they're bringing. So can I just think back to the um, that initial picture that you gave us of the bank teller and thinking about that metaphor that you came up with, the, the glass box, how did that then help? Was it around it sort of unsticking some of her emotion or did it, was it a cope? What did it, what did the metaphor give her? Was it a coping strategy or what, what difference did that make for her? It certainly gave her a coping strategy. I would say the fundamental thing was that it gave her a different kind of awareness of her own experience that was much more tangible. Because when you've got something that's tangibly there now, to our ears, it might sound like she's making this up. But when you start to question people with clean language questions and metaphors appear, they feel very real. So it gave a tangible um, tangibility, as it were, if there's such a word, uh, to her experience. And from that, she could notice what needed to change or not. But um, it, it feels very real um, when a metaphor appears. Interesting. And the power of words, I've heard that words are sometimes our will expressed. And when we utter them to somebody else, we can either uplift the other person or we can put them down. And uh, I heard it developed that uh, words are like spells. We can either bless or we can curse. So cast them with care. 
it's lovely. And it's also making me think of the fact, I mean, if you take metaphors, some research suggests that we use six metaphors a minute without realising. And if you think in the field of medicine, a lot of our metaphors around warfare, fighting cancer, fighting disease, germ warfare, the battle against, and that's not always a metaphor that works for people. So it's really helpful to be able to have bring awareness to the metaphors that you might be using. Yeah, and the other thing I'm thinking of as well is that sort of emotional intelligence. So obviously on the emotional well-being podcast that people are listening in today, one thing that we sometimes touch on is that aspect of emotional intelligence. And many of us have had to learn how to be more aware of our feelings because perhaps we were taught as we were growing up to sort of push our feelings down and bottle them up and and, and maybe not show them at all. So it sounds to me like the clean language process is a way of actually sort of very safely talking about feelings for many people. Just let's just talk about what what do you see that some of the problems are for people perhaps not processing their feelings where you know I, I know myself that that those feelings don't don't disappear do they they kind of get buried alive often. What are your thoughts on that, Tamsin, and how clean language perhaps can speak into that side of things? So I think there's increasing evidence that um, if we don't allow our emotions to be within us and to flow through us, um, that can take its toll on our mental and physical well-being. And I would um, reference here, uh, I don't know if your listeners are already aware of the work SERPA, S-I-R-P-A, and Georgie Oldfield, who's a physiotherapist who's brought um, the work of John Sarno to this country. And uh, so um, really fascinating and uh, profoundly life-changing work that can happen um, or impact can happen when people actually allow themselves to have the feelings that are there. And if we don't allow ourselves or if we become fearful, it can set up a fight or flight um, or even freeze response in the body. And the stress illness that results from that uh, can be very debilitating. And it can have, and, and really at the, at the core of this um, approach is to, uh, to be with those emotions, whether they're from the past or from current situations. So flow is important and constipation of emotions is a bad idea. <laughs> Good metaphor. <laughs> I'm interested in the metaphors uh, that you're talking about, Tamsin, and the, the, the questions that you might use. Are you able to help our – is it a complicated subject or is it something you're able to help our listeners understand? I've got a demonstration coming on here for this. <laughs> um, I, I, it's not complicated. I think the most complicated for th thing for people to do is to wipe your feet on that welcome mat. I think the most complicated thing is to just leave a space for someone to do their own thinking in their own way. But yes, a demonstration, could, what I can do is give a demonstration of the way that I use clean questions, um, a process that I call the listening space. And it's a lovely way of, of just taking a feeling that you might have at the moment, asking a few questions, wiping your feet on the welcome mat, not trying to get anywhere in particular, other than noticing what might arise for you in response to the question. So um, would it be would it be a good time to to demonstrate so that people can yeah, sure sounds a great idea. Who would you like to ask questions? Is that you're going to ask questions of me? Yeah, oh. go on. <laughs> okay, certainly. <laughs> certainly. Delighted. So, and actually listeners can, you know, try these questions for themselves uh, also. Um, so yes. Andrew, is there a is there a feeling um, that you're noticing? I mean, just allow yourself to settle into your body and uh, 
make yourself comfortable and just noticing if there's any particular emotion that that uh, you're noticing right now. There is, and I'm looking around the room I'm sitting in, and um, I don't really like to betray this on air, but I'm going to. It's a bit cluttered. Okay. And that's because I'm not very good at um, tidying up and and uh, sort of somewhat retentive of things. So there there is flow of material through this office, but there is also a time when stuff gets stuck. And it's what and the feeling is I don't feel good about it. It feel good. And stuck. And stuck. Just notice, if I repeat back some of your words, just notice if there are any that uh, resonate in particular. Thank you. Cluttered. Retentive. Stuck. Cluttered and stuck. Definitely words that resonate something. And if you were to choose one, in particular, cluttered, stuck. No, I think it's stuck, actually. The clutter probably comes from being stuck. Okay. So what kind of stuck is that? Um, messy. Yeah. Uh, uh, and um, it, it, it sort of feels quite hard, actually. It's a hard stuck that it, it's... Messy and cluttered. I've come back to the cluttered again, but um, it's not not knowing how to start. Really, um, it's it may be not wanting to start. Maybe that's something from childhood. I don't know, but um, I feel messy and a bit ashamed about it too. Ah, so ashamed, hard, messy. Yes. Anything else about stuck? Um, yes, there is. Um, sometimes it's easy to accumulate when you don't necessarily need everything you've accumulated, and uh, it's also difficult to get rid of. Um, I think it's 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 there's an emotional attachment to some of the stuff that just needs to be let go. Um, ah. Almost. I don't know if any of our listeners ever sucked their thumbs, but uh, if you did, you might have had a comfort blanket, almost like a comfort blanket. Ah, so almost like a comfort blanket. Hmm. And it needs to be let go. Yes. And cluttered. And uncluttered, yes. And uncluttered. Yeah, it needs needs to be decluttered, yes. Decluttered. And whereabouts is stuck? Well, I suppose it's around me, but maybe it's in me as well. Maybe mm. there's something about will or desire or confidence. No, I don't think confidence. Sort of slight laziness of 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 of, of not getting round to it. It's always it's always it's always more fun sometimes than to sort of do something new or to. Yeah. The, the, it's it's quite easy to get excitement or to get. Um, encouragement or or little little bits of approval from others certainly when you're a child for for new ideas or or, or accomplishing something whereas actually doing the washing up doesn't necessarily get you credits um mm -hmm. you lose them if you don't do it 
but you don't necessarily get them if you if you do do it. So there's something there's something about need for approval, um, uh, and possibly having I don't know possibly having been labelled as 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 cluttered or mucky pup or something or other as a child. Mm. And a need for approval and labelled and is stuck on the inside or the outside. I think it's showing itself outside, but it's probably mainly inside. Inside. And does stuck have a size or a shape on the inside? Gosh, what an interesting question. I haven't thought about myself in, in these terms. Um, there's a sort of heaviness about it somewhere in my upper chest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's um, sort of a blob. Okay. A blob and a heaviness. Hmm. And does stock have a sound? Ah! <laughs> and is there anything else about stuck? Having just given it a place and a shape and a sound, I think it comes from a small child. Ah. Because that so if- ah was just sort of came out spontaneously in response to what you were asking. And I don't think that's me as a 64-year-old um, adult. I think that's I think that's from a long way back where maybe I didn't express what I wanted to or wasn't heard or or was approved of too much or or or, or didn't know how to start. Hmm. So back in and sorry just to say because I'm I think this is amazing to to listen to and watch. Would you just give a bit of kind of feedback for the list in terms of where you've gone with this and what your, I don't know, what your thinking is? And just in the last few minutes that we've got, then Andrew can tell us what his experience was. So just, I know there'll be much more you could do to develop this, but yes, Tamsin, do tell us sort of what, what were your thoughts as you were going through that with Andrew? Um, as always, just fascination. And I've no idea where this is going. And I've just asked a specific set of questions. And I would invite Andrew to represent on paper what he now knows about stuck. Um, and then to ask himself two questions. Um, what do you know now? And what difference does knowing that make? But it, it, what, what I'm thinking is, whenever I ask other people of these questions hold a listening space with someone else it just uh, always fascinates and things seem to fit together beautifully yeah I think that's the thing isn't it you know Andrew's not making anything up this is a real this is real stuff I'm guessing but you know let's let Andrew let's just tell us what was your experience of of and thank you for doing that demo what was your experience well thank you both for your insights and thank you Tamsin for for a safe space that made me feel very heard and and just allowed me to uh, with curiosity, which you helped me um, help me with, to explore something that I don't think I'd really explored before, uh, the deep reasons behind behaviour and where the feelings that are often the drivers for our behaviour are actually sitting. And I know I've moved away from metaphors um, to, to feelings, but the metaphors we're using are actually describing feelings at one level, perhaps. 
Yeah, and I'm just so sorry to have interrupted it as before. We could have gone on for another half an hour. I mean, I think we'll have to have you back, Tamsin, if that's okay, to talk more about this. Because I think there's a lot, um, I mean, this, this is relevant for everybody. We all have emotions. We all have different ways of processing them. I think it's just, this is so interesting to hear you. And it was it was great to have a demonstration because then it brings it to life, what you, what you do. If listeners wanted to find out a bit more about clean language or the listening space, just tell us how they could go about that. Yeah, so there's um, I've written a book called The Listening Space, A New Path to Personal Discovery um, that's available I, on, on my website or um, online, but my website is um, thelisteningspace.co.uk. Um, I also have a YouTube channel. And so there are some of these kinds of meditations that you can enjoy. And there are videos that explain a bit more about um, this way of using clean questions. Um, so, yes. Uh, the website, YouTube channel, and the book at the moment. Yeah, fantastic. Andrew? And if anybody wanted to start, I mean, you've made it look deceptively simple. Uh, and and I must say, I think there's a lot behind it, but you make it look and feel so deceptively simple. I was reading your book at the weekend. If anybody wanted to start, what two questions might be good that they can bring to bear on reflecting back the words that they've picked out from what somebody said? A good question. I I think the most useful, I think if you could go away today and in your work life, in your personal life, somebody says something, particularly if you feel triggered in some way, allow yourself to do some kind of internal press pause, wipe your feet on the welcome mat and just ask, what kind of? I mean, I do it. I think that's the most conversational question. I use that all the time, say, with my kids, who are probably the biggest (laughs) sensors for (laughs) doing that stuff with me mum and now and it's just enables me to find out more there's it's just curiosity not trying to do something in the other thing um if you're working in a coaching capacity uh anything else about i use all the time so it might be that we're exploring a particular model but i just repeat back some words anything else about very so, simple so the two questions what kind of or and the phrase is there anything else about or just shorten to anything else about whatever those words were. Yeah. Fascinating. Would the world be a different place if we all use these conversational, these skills as conversation? I think it would, actually. I think if we stopped speaking into the lives of others and had other people um, able to listen to us in a way that um, allowed us to do our own thinking for ourselves, the world would be a very different place. And I also just struck me, Tamsin, that just using those questions for ourselves, some of us like to reflect and write in journals. So yes, really helpful for in conversation with somebody. Is that something that you have done for yourself, like using those questions yourself to think through? Can you can you do that? You, you absolutely can. Um, and I have a, a friend who does this a lot. In fact, quite a few people have come on. The, oh, that's the other thing. There's listening space courses. And I also run courses called Coming to Calm. So there are different ways of learning. But um, you just use it as a journaling process. Um, and find it very helpful. I Because I run a practice group on a Monday night for people who've done the course, I have the luxury of getting regular listening spaces from other people. So um, I don't do a lot of journaling myself, but a lot of pe- I know people who do and find it very helpful. Yeah, because I guess it's all about sort of getting in tune, isn't it? And like raise self-awareness with our emotional experience. 
and understanding ourselves better. So being present with ourselves better, because that's often so key. It's that Andrew and I have sometimes talked about pushing the being back into well-being. It's that importance of actually, you know, how to be with yourself as well as being with other people. But yes, yeah, so, so helpful. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I don't know, Andrew, if you've got anything final, final words you want to say. Just to say how fascinating and thank you so much for coming, Tamsin, and keep up all your great work. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrew Tresida and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.